Question 95 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Justice by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 95. Of Superstition in Divinations, in Eight Articles. We must now consider superstition in divinations, under which head there are eight points of inquiry. First, whether divination is a sin. Second, whether it is a species of superstition. Third, of the species of divination. Fourth, of divination by means of demons. Fifth, of divination by the stars. Sixth, of divination by dreams. Seventh, of divination by auguries and like observances. Eighth, of divination by lots. First article, whether divination is a sin. Objection one. It would seem that divination is not a sin. Divination is derived from something divine, and things that are divine pertain to holiness rather than to sin. Therefore, it seems that divination is not a sin. Objection to further. Augustine says in On the Free Will 1, Who dares to say that learning is an evil? And again, I could nowise admit that intelligence can be an evil. But some arts are divinatory, as the philosopher states in On Memory 1, and divination itself would seem to pertain to a certain intelligence of the truth. Therefore, it seems that divination is not a sin. Objection 3 further. There is no natural inclination to evil, because nature inclines only to its like. But men by natural inclination seek to foreknow future events, and this belongs to divination. Therefore, divination is not a sin. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11, Neither let there be found among you any one that consulteth Pythonic spirits or fortune-tellers. And it is stated in the Decretals, in the canon Qui Divinationes, Those who seek for divinations shall be liable to a penance of five years' duration, according to the fixed grades of penance. I answer that divination denotes a foretelling of the future. The future may be foreknown in two ways. First, in its causes, secondly, in itself. Now the causes of the future are threefold, for some produce their effects of necessity and always, and such like future effects can be foreknown and foretold with certainty from considering their causes, 
even as astrologers foretell a coming eclipse. Other causes produce their effects not of necessity and always, but for the most part, yet they rarely fail, and from such like causes their future effects can be foreknown not indeed with certainty, but by a kind of conjecture, even as astrologers by considering the stars can foreknow and foretell things concerning rains and droughts, and physicians concerning health and death. Again, other causes considered in themselves are indifferent, and this is chiefly the case in the rational powers which stand in relation to opposites, according to the philosopher in Metaphysics 8, 2, 5, and 8. Such like effects, as also those which ensue from natural causes by chance and in the minority of instances, cannot be foreknown from a consideration of their causes, because these causes have no determinate inclination to produce these effects. Consequently, such like effects cannot be foreknown unless they be considered in themselves. Now a man cannot consider these effects in themselves except when they are present, as when he sees Socrates running or walking. The consideration of such things in themselves before they occur is proper to God, who alone in his eternity sees the future as though it were present, as stated in the first part, question 14, article 13, as well as in question 57, article 3, and question 86, article 4. Hence it is written in Isaiah 41, verse 23, Show the things that are to come hereafter, and we shall know that ye are gods. Therefore, if anyone presume to foreknow or foretell such like future things by any means whatever, except by divine revelation, he manifestly usurps what belongs to God. It is for this reason that certain men are called divines, wherefore Isidore says in his Etymologies 8-9, They are called divines as though they were full of God, for they pretend to be filled with the Godhead, and by a deceitful fraud they forecast the future to men. Accordingly, it is not called divination if a man foretells things that happen of necessity, or in the majority of instances, for the like can be foreknown by human reason, nor again if anyone knows other contingent future things through divine revelation, for then he does not divine, that is, cause something divine, but rather receives something divine. Then only is a man said to divine when he usurps to himself in an undue manner the foretelling of future events, and this is manifestly a sin. Consequently, divination is always a sin, and for this reason Jerome says in his commentary on Micah 3, 9 and following that divination is always taken in an evil sense. Reply to Objection 1. Divination takes its name not from a rightly ordered share of something divine, but from an undue usurpation thereof, as stated above. Reply to Objection 2. There are certain arts for the foreknowledge of future events that occur of necessity or frequently, and these do not pertain to divination. But there are no true arts or sciences for the foreknowledge of any other future events, 
but only vain inventions of the devil's deceit as augustine says in on the city of god twenty one eight reply to objection three man has a natural inclination to know the future by human means but not by the undue means of divination second article whether divination is a species of superstition objection one it would seem that divination is not a species of superstition the same thing cannot be a species of diverse genera now divination is apparently a species of curiosity according to augustine in on true religion thirty eight therefore it is not seemingly a species of superstition objection to further just as religion is due worship so is superstition undue worship but divination does not seem to pertain to undue worship therefore it does not pertain to superstition objection three further superstition is opposed to religion but in true religion nothing is to be found corresponding as a contrary to divination therefore divination is not a species of superstition on the contrary origen says in his periarchon translator's note the quotation is from his sixteenth homily on the book of numbers end of note there is an operation of the demons in the administering of foreknowledge comprised seemingly under the head of certain arts exercised by those who have enslaved themselves to the demons by means of lots omens or the observance of shadows i doubt not that all these things are done by the operation of the demons now according to augustine in on christian doctrine two twenty and twenty three whatever results from fellowship between demons and men is superstitious therefore divination is a species of superstition i answer that as stated above in article one as well as in questions ninety two and ninety four superstition denotes undue divine worship now a thing pertains to the worship of god in two ways in one way it is something offered to god as a sacrifice an oblation or something of the kind in another way it is something divine that is assumed as stated above with regard to an oath in question eighty nine article four second reply wherefore superstition includes not only idolatrous sacrifices offered to demons but also recourse to the help of the demons for the purpose of doing or knowing something but all divination results from the demons operation either because the demons are expressly invoked that the future may be known or because the demons thrust themselves into futile searchings of the future in order to entangle men's minds with vain conceits of this kind of vanity it is written in psalm thirty nine verse five who hath not regard to vanities and lying follies now it is vain to seek knowledge of the future when one tries to get it from a source whence it cannot be foreknown therefore it is manifest that divination 
is a species of superstition. Reply to Objection 1. Divination is a kind of curiosity with regard to the end in view, which is foreknowledge of the future. But it is a kind of superstition as regards the mode of operation. Reply to Objection 2. This kind of divination pertains to the worship of the demons, inasmuch as one enters into a compact, tacit or express with the demons. Reply to Objection 3. In the new law, man's mind is restrained from solicitude about temporal things, wherefore the new law contains no institution for the foreknowledge of future events in temporal matters. On the other hand, in the old law, which contained earthly promises, there were consultations about the future in connection with religious matters. Hence, where it is written, in Isaiah 8.19, And when they shall say to you, Seek of pythons and of diviners who mutter their enchantments, it is added by way of an answer. Should not the people seek of their God a vision for the living and the dead? In the New Testament, however, there were some possessed of the spirit of prophecy who foretold many things about future events. Third article. Whether we ought to distinguish several species of divination. Objection 1. It would seem that we should not distinguish several species of divination. Where the formality of sin is the same, there are not seemingly several species of sin. Now there is one formality of sin in all divinations, since they consist in entering into compact with the demons in order to know the future. Therefore, there are not several species of divination. Objection to further. A human act takes its species from its end, as stated above, in the Pars Prima Secundae question 1, article 3, and in question 18, article 6. But all divination is directed to one end, namely, the foretelling of the future. Therefore, all divinations are of one species. Objection 3 further. Signs do not vary the species of a sin, for whether one detracts by word, writing, or gestures, it is the same species of sin. Now divinations seem to differ merely according to the various signs whence the foreknowledge of the future is derived. Therefore, there are not several species of divination. On the contrary, Isidore enumerates various species of divination in his Etymologies 8.9. I answer that, as stated above in Article 2, all divinations seek to acquire foreknowledge of future events by means of some counsel and help of a demon, who is either expressly called upon to give his help, or else thrusts himself in secretly, in order to foretell certain future things unknown to men, but known to him in such manners as have been explained in the first part. Question 57, Article 3. When demons are expressly invoked, they are wont to foretell the future in many ways. 
sometimes they offer themselves to human sight and hearing by mock apparitions in order to foretell the future and this species is called prestigiation because man's eyes are blindfolded prestinguntur sometimes they make use of dreams and this is called divination by dreams sometimes they employ apparitions or utterances of the dead and this species is called necromancy for as isidore observes in his etymologies eight in greek necron means dead and manteia divination because after certain incantations and the sprinkling of blood the dead seem to come to life to divine and to answer questions sometimes they foretell the future through living men as in the case of those who are possessed this is divination by pythons of whom isidore says that pythons are so called from pythias apollo who was said to be the inventor of divination sometimes they foretell the future by means of shapes or signs which appear in inanimate beings if these signs appear in some earthly body such as wood iron or polished stone it is called geomancy if in water hydromancy if in the air aromancy if in fire pyromancy if in the entrails of animals sacrificed on the altars of demons aruspice the divination which is practiced without expressed invocation of the demons is of two kinds the first is when with a view to obtain knowledge of the future we take observations in the disposition of certain things if one endeavor to know the future by observing the position and movement of the stars this belongs to astrologers who are called genethliacs because they take note of the days on which people are born if one observe the movements and cries of birds or of any animals or the sneezing of men or the sudden movements of limbs this belongs in general to augury which is so called from the chattering of birds avium garitu just as auspice is derived from watching birds avium inspectione these are chiefly wont to be observed in birds the former by the ear the latter by the eye if however these observations have for their object men's words uttered unintentionally which someone twist so as to apply to the future that he wishes to foreknow then it is called an omen and as valerius maximus remarks the observing of omens has a touch of religion mingled with it for it is believed to be founded not on a chance movement but on divine providence it was thus that when the romans were deliberating whether they would change their position a centurion happened to exclaim at the time standard-bearer fix the banner we had best stand here and on hearing these words they took them as an omen and abandoned their intention of advancing further if however the observation regards dispositions that occur to the eye of figures in certain bodies there will be another species of divination for the divination that is taken from observing the lines of the hand is called chiromancy that is divination of the hand because chir is the greek for hand while divination which is taken from signs appearing in the shoulder blades of an animal is called spatulomancy 
to this second species of divination which is without express invocation of the demons belongs that which is practiced by observing certain things done seriously by men in the research of the occult whether by drawing lots which is called geomancy or by observing the shapes resulting from molten lead poured into water or by observing which of several sheets of paper with or without writing upon them a person may happen to draw or by holding out several unequal sticks and noting who takes the greater or the lesser or by throwing dice and observing who throws the highest score or by observing what catches the eye when one opens a book all of which are named sortilege accordingly it is clear that there are three kinds of divination the first is when the demons are invoked openly this comes under the head of necromancy the second is merely an observation of the disposition or movement of some other being and this belongs to augury while the third consists in doing something in order to discover the occult and this belongs to sortilege under each of these many others are contained as explained above reply to objection one in all the aforesaid there is the same general but not the same special character of sin for it is much more grievous to invoke the demons than to do things that deserve the demons interference reply to objection to knowledge of the future or of the occult is the ultimate end whence divination takes its general formality but the various species are distinguished by their proper objects or matters according as the knowledge of the occult is sought in various things reply to objection three the things observed by diviners are considered by them not as signs expressing what they already know as happens in detraction but as principles of knowledge now it is evident that diversity of principles diversifies the species even in demonstrative sciences fourth article whether divination practiced by invoking the demons is unlawful objection one it would seem that divination practiced by invoking demons is not unlawful christ did nothing unlawful according to first peter two twenty two who did no sin yet our lord asked the demon what is thy name and the latter replied my name is legion for we are many as is stated in mark five nine therefore it seems lawful to question the demons about the occult objection to further the souls of the saints do not encourage those who ask unlawfully yet samuel appeared to saul when the latter inquired of the woman that had a divining spirit concerning the issue of the coming war as is related in first kings twenty eight eight and following therefore the divination that consists in questioning demons is not unlawful objection three further it seems lawful to seek the truth from one who knows if it be useful to know it but it is sometimes useful to know what is hidden from us and can be known through the demons as in the discovery of thefts therefore 
divination by questioning demons is not unlawful. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11, Neither let there be found among you any one that consulteth soothsayers, nor that consulteth pythonic spirits. I answer that, all divination by invoking demons is unlawful for two reasons. The first is gathered from the principle of divination, which is a compact made expressly with a demon by the very fact of invoking him. This is altogether unlawful. Wherefore it is written against certain persons in Isaiah 28.15, You have said, We have entered into a league with death, and we have made a covenant with hell. And still more grievous would it be if sacrifice were offered or reverence paid to the demon invoked. The second reason is gathered from the result. For the demon who intends man's perdition endeavors, by his answers, even though he sometimes tells the truth, to accustom men to believe him, and so to lead him on to something prejudicial to the salvation of mankind. Hence Athanasius, commenting on the words of Luke 4.35, he rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, says, Although the demon confessed the truth, Christ put a stop to his speech, lest together with the truth he should publish his wickedness and accustom us to care little for such things, however much he may seem to speak the truth. For it is wicked, while we have the divine scriptures, to seek knowledge from the demons. Reply to Objection 1. According to Bede's commentary on Luke 8.30, Our Lord inquired, not through ignorance, but in order that the disease which he tolerated, being made public, the power of the healer might shine forth more graciously. Now it is one thing to question a demon who comes to us of his own accord, and it is lawful to do so at times for the good of others, especially when he can be compelled by the power of God to tell the truth, and another to invoke a demon in order to gain from him knowledge of things hidden from us. Reply to Objection 2 According to Augustine, in his letter to Simplicius 2.3, there is nothing absurd in believing that the spirit of the just man, being about to smite the king with the divine sentence, was permitted to appear to him, not by the sway of magic art or power, but by some occult dispensation of which neither the witch nor Saul was aware, or else the spirit of Samuel was not in reality aroused from his rest, but some phantom or mock apparition formed by the machinations of the devil and styled by scripture under the name of Samuel, just as the images of things are wont to be called by the names of those things. Reply to Objection 3. No temporal utility can compare with the harm to spiritual health that results from the research of the unknown by invoking the demon. Fifth Article. Whether Divination by the Stars is Unlawful. Objection 1. It would seem that divination by the stars is not unlawful. It is lawful to foretell effects by observing their causes. Thus a physician foretells death from the disposition of the disease. 
now the heavenly bodies are the cause of what takes place in the world according to dionysius in on the divine names four therefore divination by the stars is not unlawful objection to further human science originates from experiments according to the philosopher in metaphysics one one now it has been discovered through many experiments that the observation of the stars is a means whereby some future events may be known beforehand therefore it would seem not unlawful to make use of this kind of divination objection three further divination is declared to be unlawful in so far as it is based on a compact made with the demons but divination by the stars contains nothing of the kind but merely an observation of god's creatures therefore it would seem that this species of divination is not unlawful on the contrary augustine says in his confessions four three those astrologers whom they call mathematicians i consulted without scruple because they seemed to use no sacrifice nor to pray to any spirit for their divinations which art however christian and true piety rejects and condemns i answer that as stated above in articles one and two the operation of the demon thrusts itself into those divinations which are based on false and vain opinions in order that man's mind may become entangled in vanity and falsehood now no one makes use of a vain and false opinion if by observing the stars one desires to foreknow the future that cannot be forecast by their means wherefore we must consider what things can be foreknown by observing the stars and it is evident that those things which happen of necessity can be foreknown by this means even so astrologers forecast a future eclipse however with regard to the foreknowledge of future events acquired by observing the stars there have been various opinions for some have stated that the stars signify rather than cause the things foretold by means of their observation but this is an unreasonable statement since every corporeal sign is either the effect that for which it stands thus smoke signifies fire whereby it is caused or it proceeds from the same cause so that by signifying the cause in consequence it signifies the effect thus a rainbow is sometimes a sign of fair weather in so far as its cause is the cause of fair weather now it cannot be said that the dispositions and movements of the heavenly bodies are the effect of future events nor again can they be ascribed to some common higher cause of a corporeal nature although they are referable to a common higher cause which is divine providence on the contrary the appointment of the movements and positions of the heavenly bodies by divine providence is on a different principle from the appointment of the occurrence of future contingencies because the former are appointed on a principle of necessity so that they always occur in the same way whereas the latter are appointed on a principle of contingency so that the manner of their occurrence is variable consequently it is impossible to acquire foreknowledge of the future from an observation of the stars except in so far as effects can be foreknown from their causes now two kinds of effects escape the causality of heavenly bodies 
in the first place all effects that occur accidentally whether in human affairs or in the natural order since as it is proved in the metaphysics six an accidental being has no cause least of all a natural cause such as is the power of a heavenly body because what occurs accidentally neither is a being properly speaking nor is one for instance that an earthquake occur when a stone falls or that a treasure be discovered when a man digs a grave for these unlike occurrences are not one thing but are simply several things whereas the operation of nature has always some one thing for its term just as it proceeds from some one principle which is the form of a natural thing in the second place acts of the free will which is the faculty of will and reason escape the causality of heavenly bodies for the intellect or reason is not a body nor the act of a bodily organ and consequently neither is the will since it is in the reason as the philosopher shows in on the soul three four and nine now no body can make an impression on an incorporeal body wherefore it is impossible for heavenly bodies to make a direct impression on the intellect and will for this would be to deny the difference between intellect and sense with which position aristotle reproaches those who held that such is the will of man as is the day which the father of men and of gods that is the sun or the heavens brings on quoting the odyssey eighteen one thirty five hence the heavenly bodies cannot be the direct cause of the free will's operations nevertheless they can be a dispositive cause of an inclination to those operations in so far as they make an impression on the human body and consequently on the sensitive powers which are acts of bodily organs having an inclination for human acts since however the sensitive powers obey reason as the philosopher shows in on the soul three eleven and in ethics one thirteen this does not impose any necessity on the free will and man is able by his reason to act counter to the inclination of the heavenly bodies accordingly if any one take observation of the stars in order to foreknow causal or fortuitous future events or to know with certitude future human actions his conduct is based on a false and vain opinion and so the operation of the demons introduces itself therein wherefore it will be a superstitious and unlawful divination on the other hand if one were to apply the observation of the stars in order to foreknow those future things that are caused by heavenly bodies for instance drought or rain and so forth it will be neither an unlawful nor a superstitious divination wherefore the reply to the first objection is evident reply to objection two that astrologers not unfrequently forecast the truth by observing the stars may be explained in two ways first because a great number of men follow their bodily passions so that their actions are for the most part disposed in accordance with the inclination of the heavenly bodies while there are few namely the wise alone who moderate these inclinations by their reason 
the result is that astrologers in many cases foretell the truth especially in public occurrences which depend on the multitude secondly because of the interference of the demons hence augustine says in the literal meaning of genesis two seventeen when astrologers tell the truth it must be allowed that this is due to an instinct that unknown to man lies hidden in his mind and since this happens through the action of unclean and lying spirits who desire to deceive man for they are permitted to know certain things about temporal affairs wherefore he concludes thus a good christian should beware of astrologers and of all impious diviners especially of those who tell the truth lest his soul become the dupe of the demons and by making a compact of partnership with them enmesh itself in their fellowship this suffices for the reply to the third objection sixth article whether divination by dreams is unlawful objection one it would seem that divination by dreams is not unlawful. It is not unlawful to make use of divine instruction. Now men are instructed by God in dreams, for it is written in Job 33 verses 15 and 16, By a dream in a vision by night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, and they are sleeping in their beds, then he, God to wit, openeth the ears of men, and teaching instructeth them in what they are to learn therefore it is not unlawful to make use of divination by dreams objection to further those who interpret dreams properly speaking make use of divination by dreams now we read of holy men interpreting dreams thus joseph interpreted the dreams of pharaoh's butler and of his chief baker as is reported in genesis chapter forty and Daniel interpreted the dream of the king of Babylon in Daniel 2.4. Therefore, divination by dreams is not unlawful. Objection 3 further. It is unreasonable to deny the common experiences of men. Now it is the experience of all that dreams are significative of the future. Therefore, it is useless to deny the efficacy of dreams for the purpose of divination, and it is lawful to listen to them. On the contrary, it is written in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, Neither let there be found among you any one that observeth dreams. I answer that, as stated above in Articles 2 and 6, divination is superstitious and unlawful, when it is based on a false opinion. Wherefore we must consider what is true in the matter of foreknowing the future from dreams. Now dreams are sometimes the cause of future occurrences, for instance, when a person's mind becomes anxious through what it has seen in a dream, and is thereby led to do something or to avoid something, while sometimes dreams are signs of future happenings, insofar as they are referable to some common cause of both dreams and future occurrences, and in this way the future is frequently known from dreams. We must then consider what is the cause of dreams, and whether it can be the cause of future occurrences, or be cognizant of them. Accordingly, 
it is to be observed that the cause of dreams is sometimes in us and sometimes outside us. The inward cause of dreams is twofold. One regards the soul, insofar as those things which have occupied a man's thoughts and affections while awake, recur to his imagination while asleep. A such-like cause of dreams is not a cause of future occurrences, so that dreams of this kind are related accidentally to future occurrences, and if at any time they concur, it will be by chance. But sometimes the inward cause of dreams regards the body, because the inward disposition of the body leads to the formation of a movement in the imagination consistent with that disposition. Thus a man in whom there is an abundance of cold humors dreams that he is in the water or snow, and for this reason physicians say that we should take note of dreams in order to discover internal dispositions. In like manner the outward cause of dreams is twofold, corporal and spiritual. It is corporal in so far as the sleeper's imagination is affected either by the surrounding air or through an impression of a heavenly body, so that certain images appear to the sleeper in keeping with the disposition of the heavenly bodies. The spiritual cause is sometimes referable to God, who reveals certain things to men in their dreams by ministry of the angels, according to Numbers 12.6. If there be among you a prophet of the Lord, I will appear to him in a vision, or I will speak to him in a dream. Sometimes, however, it is due to the action of the demons that certain images appear to persons in their sleep, and by this means they, at times, reveal certain future things to those who have entered into an unlawful compact with them. Accordingly, we must say that there is no unlawful divination in making use of dreams for the foreknowledge of the future, so long as those dreams are due to divine revelation, or to some natural cause, inward or outward, and so far as the efficacy of that cause extends. But it will be an unlawful and superstitious divination if it be caused by a revelation of the demons, with whom a compact has been made, whether explicit through their being invoked for the purpose, or implicit through the divination extending beyond its possible limits. This suffices for the replies to the objections. Seventh article. Whether divination by auguries, omens, and by like observations of external things is unlawful. Objection 1. It would seem that divination by auguries, omens, and by like observations of external things is not unlawful. If it were unlawful, holy men would not make use thereof. Now we read of Joseph that he paid attention to auguries, for it is related in Genesis 44, verse 5, that Joseph's steward said, The cup which you have stolen is that in which my Lord drinketh, and in which he is wont to divine. Augurari. And he himself afterwards says to his brethren in Genesis 44:15, Know you not that there is no one like me in the science of divining? Therefore, it is not unlawful to make use of this kind of divination. Objection to further. Birds naturally know certain things regarding future occurrences of the seasons, according to Jeremiah 8.7. 
the kite in the air hath known her time the turtle the swallow and the stork have observed the time of their coming now natural knowledge is infallible and comes from god therefore it seems not unlawful to make use of the bird's knowledge in order to know the future and this is divination by augury objection three further gideon is numbered among the saints in hebrews eleven thirty two yet gideon made use of an omen when he listened to the relation and interpreting of a dream as related in judges seven fifteen and eliezer abraham's servant acted in like manner in genesis twenty four therefore it seems that this kind of divination is not unlawful on the contrary it is written in deuteronomy eighteen ten neither let there be found among you any one that observeth omens i answer that the movements or cries of birds and whatever dispositions one may consider in such things are manifestly not the cause of future events wherefore the future cannot be known therefrom as from its cause it follows therefore that if anything future can be known from them it will be because the causes from which they proceed are also the causes of future occurrences or are cognizant of them now the cause of dumb animals actions is a certain instinct whereby they are inclined by a natural movement for they are not masters of their actions this instinct may proceed from a twofold cause in the first place it may be due to a bodily cause for since dumb animals have not but a sensitive soul every power of which it is the act of a bodily organ their soul is subject to the disposition of surrounding bodies and primarily to that of the heavenly bodies hence nothing prevents some of their actions from being signs of the future in so far as they are conformed to the dispositions of the heavenly bodies and of the surrounding air to which certain future events are due yet in this matter we must observe two things first that such observations must not be applied to the foreknowledge of future things other than those which can be foreknown from the movements of heavenly bodies as stated above in articles five and six secondly that they be not applied to other matters than those which in some way may have reference to these animals since they acquire through the heavenly bodies a certain natural knowledge and instinct about things necessary for their life such as changes resulting from rain and wind and so forth in the second place this instinct is produced by a spiritual cause namely either by god as may be seen in the dove that descended upon christ the raven that fed elias and the whale that swallowed and vomited jonas or by demons who make use of these actions of dumb animals in order to entangle our minds with vain opinions this seems to be true of all such like things except omens because human words which are taken for an omen are not subject to the disposition of the stars yet are they ordered according to divine providence and sometimes according to the action of the demons accordingly we must say that all such like divinations are superstitious and unlawful if they be extended beyond the limits set according to the order of nature or of divine providence.
Reply to Objection 1. According to Augustine, in his Questions on Genesis, question 145, when Joseph said that there was no one like him in the science of divining, he spoke in joke and not seriously, referring perhaps to the common opinion about him. In this sense also spoke his steward. Reply to Objection 2. The passage quoted refers to the knowledge that birds have about things concerning them, and in order to know these things, it is not unlawful to observe their cries and movements. Thus from the frequent cawing of crows one might say that it will rain soon. Reply to Objection 3. Gideon listened to the recital and interpretation of a dream, seeing therein an omen, ordered by divine providence for his instruction. In like manner, Eliezer listened to the damsel's words, having previously prayed to God. Eighth Article Whether Divination by Drawing Lots is Unlawful Objection 1. It would seem that divination by drawing lots is not unlawful, because a gloss of Augustine on Psalm 30, verse 16, My lots are in thy hands, says... It is not wrong to cast lots, for it is a means of ascertaining the divine will when a man is in doubt. Objection to. There is, seemingly, nothing unlawful in the observances which the scriptures relate as being practiced by holy men. Now both in the Old and in the New Testament we find holy men practicing the casting of lots, for it is related in Joshua 7.14 and following that Joshua, at the Lord's command, pronounced sentence by lot on Achan, who had stolen of the anathema, against Saul, by drawing lots, found that his son Jonathan had eaten honey, as is related in First Kings 14, verse 58 and following. Jonah, when fleeing the face of the Lord, was discovered and thrown into the sea, as is told in Jonah 1, 7 and following. Zacharias was chosen by lot to offer incense, as is told in Luke 1, 9, and the apostles, by drawing lots, elected Matthias to the apostleship in Acts one twenty six. Therefore, it would seem that divination by lots is not unlawful. Objection 3 further. Fighting with the fists, or monomachy, that is, single combat, as it is called, and trial by fire and water, which are called popular trials, seem to come under the head of sortilege, because something unknown is sought by their means. Yet these practices seem to be lawful, because David is related to have engaged in single combat with the Philistine in First Kings 17 verse 32 and following. Therefore, it would seem that divination by lot is not unlawful. On the contrary, it is written in the Decretals, in the canon Sortes. We decree that the casting of lots by which you make up your mind in all your undertakings, and which the fathers have condemned, is nothing but divination and witchcraft. For which reason we wish them to be condemned altogether, and henceforth not to be mentioned among Christians, and we forbid the practice thereof under pain of anathema. I answer that, as stated above in Article 3, sortilege consists, properly speaking, in doing something that by observing the result 
one may come to the knowledge of something unknown. If by casting lots one seeks to know what is to be given to whom, whether it is to be a possession, an honor, a dignity, a punishment, or some action or other, it is called sortilege of allotment. If one seeks to know what ought to be done, it is called sortilege of consultation. If one seeks to know what is going to happen, it is called sortilege of divination. Now the actions of man that are required for sortilege and their results are not subject to the disposition of the stars. Wherefore, if anyone practicing sortilege is so minded as though human acts requisite for sortilege depended for the result on the disposition of the stars, his opinion is vain and false, and consequently is not free from the interference of the demons, so that a divination of this kind is superstitious and unlawful. Apart from this cause, however, the result of sortilegious acts must needs be ascribed to chance or to some directing spiritual cause. If we ascribe it to chance, and this can only take place in sortilege of allotment, it does not seem to imply any vice other than vanity, as in the case of persons who, being unable to agree upon the division of something or another, are willing to draw lots for its division, thus leaving to chance what portion each is to receive. If, on the other hand, the decision by lot be left to a spiritual cause, it is sometimes ascribed to demons. Thus we read in Ezekiel 21.21 that the king of Babylon stood in the highway at the head of two ways, seeking divination, shuffling arrows. He inquired of the idols and consulted entrails. Sortilage of this kind is unlawful and forbidden by the canons. Sometimes, however, the decision is left to God, according to Proverbs 16.33. Lots are cast into the lap, but they are disposed of by the Lord. Sortilege of this kind is not wrong in itself, as Augustine declares in one of his homilies on Psalm 30. Yet this may happen to be sinful in four ways. First, if one have recourse to lots without any necessity for this would seem to amount to tempting God. Hence Ambrose, commenting on the words of Luke one eight, says, He that is chosen by lot is not bound by the judgment of men. Secondly, if even in a case of necessity one were to have recourse to lots without reverence. Hence on the Acts of the Apostles, Bedes says, But if any one compelled by necessity thinks that he ought, after the Apostle's example, to consult God by casting lots, let him take note that the Apostles themselves did not do so except after calling together the assembly of the brethren and pouring forth prayer to God. Thirdly, if the divine oracles be misapplied to earthly business. Hence Augustine says, Those who tell fortunes from the Gospel pages though it is to be hoped that they do so rather than have recourse to consulting the demons, yet does this custom also displease me that any one should wish to apply to divine oracles, to worldly matters, and to the vain things of this life. Fourthly, if any one resort to the drawing of lots in ecclesiastical elections, which should be carried out by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. 
wherefore as bede says before pentecost the ordination of matthias was decided by lot because as yet the fullness of the holy ghost was not yet poured forth into the church whereas the same deacons were ordained not by lot but by the choice of the disciples it is different with earthly honors which are directed to the disposal of earthly things in elections of this kind men frequently have recourse to lots even as in the distribution of earthly possessions if however there be urgent necessity it is lawful to seek the divine judgment by casting lots provided due reverence be observed hence augustine says in his letter to honorius if at a time of persecution the ministers of god do not agree as to which of them is to remain at his post lest all should flee and which of them is to flee lest all die and the church be forsaken should there be no other means of coming to an agreement so far as i can see they must be chosen by lot again he says in on christian doctrine twenty eight if thou aboundest in that which it behooves thee to give to him who hath not and which cannot be given to two should two come to you neither of whom surpasses the other in need or in some claim on thee thou couldst not act more justly than in choosing by lot to whom thou shalt give thou which thou canst not give to both this suffices for the reply to the first and second objections reply to objection three the trial by hot iron or boiling water is directed to the investigation of someone's hidden sin by means of something done by a man and in this it agrees with the drawing of lots but in so far as a miraculous result is expected from god it surpasses the common generality of sortilege hence this kind of trial is rendered unlawful both because it is directed to the judgment of the occult which is reserved to the divine judgment and because such like trials are not sanctioned by divine authority hence we read in a decree of pope stephen v the sacred canons do not approve of extorting a confession from anyone by means of the trial by hot iron or boiling water and no one must presume by a superstitious innovation to practice what is not sanctioned by the teaching of the holy fathers for it is allowable that public crimes should be judged by our authority after the culprit has made spontaneous confession or when witnesses have been approved with due regard to the fear of god but hidden and unknown crimes must be left to him who alone knows the hearts of the children of men the same would seem to apply to the law concerning duels save that it approaches nearer to the common kind of sortilege since no miraculous effect is expected thereupon unless the combatants be very unequal in strength or skill end of question ninety five read by michael shane craig lambert l c